Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, privates. I am just checking in now a little over a year and three months and some change after Roe v. Wade was overturned in June of 2022. And I am sorry to say that there are currently 21 states in the U.S. that are restricting abortion access. Unfortunately, there are 14 full bans in effect as of this recording, and there are seven additional partial bans. And I think you really have to think about this in terms of the estimated 33 million women and other childbearing people that are being impacted by this lack of access. And as someone who has been in the position to have to choose abortion in the past, it's really devastating to not be able to take control of this very important decision for yourself. So I just wanted to give you a little state of the union, and I thought it was really apropos to replay the Dr. Diana Green Foster episode. This aired a little over a year ago, so if you are new to the show, you probably haven't heard it, or maybe you missed it in the first place, but she is a rock star in terms of this kind of research. And when I learned about her turnaway study, it illustrated a lot of things that had happened in my experience that I couldn't quite articulate. And I think it's just really important for putting it into perspective. So I hope you get a lot out of this interview. And if you want to stay up on the abortion bans, there is an abortion ban tracker on the New York Times. So I guess I just encourage you to do your research and stay engaged in this topic, even if you live in a quote unquote safe state, because I honestly don't know if that exists anymore. There are no safe states and we all need to stay engaged in this fight and this issue to ensure that There are safe states and there is access available to anyone who needs it in the future. So enjoy this episode with Dr. Diana Green Foster. You are listening to a pleasure podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Welcome back to Private Parts Unknown, a podcast about love and sexuality around the world. I'm Courtney Kosak, and I am so thrilled to have today's guest on the show. Dr. Diana Green Foster is responsible for some fascinating research about abortion and contraceptives. She's the director of the Turnaway Study, and when I first found out about this abortion study, I felt so seen. So we're going to get into that. Plus, today, Dr. Foster is going to talk us through why she started this study, how the study is set up, her hypothesis, how it wound up lining up with the results, what Gloria Steinem said about her book, and so much more. Plus, Dr. Foster isn't a regular scientist. She's a cool scientist, and she has a really fun sense of humor. So this episode is as fun as it is informative. Let's get into it. 
Hi, my name is Diana Green Foster. I'm a professor at the University of California, San Francisco, director of research at ANSWER. And I wrote the book, The Turnaway Study, uh, 10 Years, 1,000 Women, and the Consequences of Having or Being Denied an Abortion. I am so excited to chat with you about the Turnaway Study. We'll get into that. But first, I guess I want to start at the beginning. And what led you into this kind of research and work? So I started this about 15 years ago when I was interested in studying what the consequences for people who receive their wanted abortions is, because there had been a lot of talk that abortion hurts women with admittedly no data to support it. People just thought it was likely that abortion, people who are opposed to abortion thought it was likely that abortion would cause regret. And so it was really important to actually study this because governments had started restricting access to abortion on the basis that people would feel regret and giving them, you know, mandated waiting periods to think about it. And so it needed to be done. And somebody, a physician said to me, I wonder what happens to the people we turn away. Uh-huh. And I realized that's a population you need to study to know what the consequences of abortion are, because you can't compare people who have abortions to people who've never been pregnant or who had wanted pregnancies, or who miscarried. There are all sorts of studies like that, but it's not a a good comparison because if you're going to restrict access to abortion, then you really need to know what happens to people who want an abortion and can't get one. So did you come into it with like a personal, I know you're not an activist, but did you come into it with a personal philosophy about abortion or was it formed in your research? I have a strong desire to do good science and I am not an activist. And if you said, hey, want to do a big debate where we, you know, get politically active and and have fights, I would be completely not interested. I really like the science. I know intellectually that between a third and a quarter of American women have had abortions. So the idea that it caused widespread depression and regret seems unlikely, Uh but it really needed to be studied. It wasn't that I thought that it was likely that abortion hurts women, but I was willing to rigorously test to see if it was true. And so how did you formulate it and set up, like explain what the study consists of? What are you studying? Yeah. So what we did was we recruited people from 30 abortion facilities across the country, where if you're too far along in pregnancy to get an abortion at that clinic, there's no one within 150 miles who will do an abortion later. And our hope was, from a scientific perspective only, that the people who were turned away would carry the pregnancy to term, and we could compare their outcomes to the people who were just under the gestational limit who got their abortions. And that worked out very well because the people who were just over the limit and just under the limit were really similar when we first recruited them. And then all the ways in which their lives diverged over time could be attributed to whether they got their abortion or not. So what year were you starting this research in? Around 2007, we started piloting. We recruited for a full three years, 2008 to 2010, and followed people for five years. And we're still publishing some papers from it. So we haven't even quite finished, but we finished data collection in 2016. So you're no longer following these people anymore. That's right. That's so interesting because, I mean, I had an abortion in like 
2007. But reading your research for me, I was like, oh, this lines up. I mean, I'm only one person, but like I can imagine how my life would have been different if I wouldn't have gotten it and related to the partner that I was with at the time and all of those outcomes. I was like, this makes sense in in my experience. So interesting. Yeah. And what has changed since 2007 is how relevant the work has become, because now with the end of Roe, it's very likely that many more people won't be able to get the abortions they seek. And so all the outcomes that we find for people who are denied their wanted abortions will likely be experienced by people now in 2022 as on a much greater level. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about some of those outcomes and what were the key differences between the people who were, and it was all women in the study, correct? Between the women who were able to get abortions and who weren't? Uh, The biggest differences were in physical health. So most people don't appreciate how risky pregnancy is, especially pregnancy carried to term and childbirth. We take it for granted, the risks that people make when they want to have a kid. And it's literally life-threatening to carry a pregnancy to term and deliver. We had two women who died from childbirth. So, And it isn't just the end of the pregnancy. When we compare people who got their abortion to people who gave birth, we see worse health for people who gave birth, and it lasts for years higher chronic pain, higher hypertension, worse overall health. So it's serious, underappreciated risks of pregnancy and the kind of cavalier attitude that politicians have portrayed in saying people should just place their child for adoption completely ignores the very serious risks, physical health risks of pregnancy and childbearing. And then how does, I know some of the reasons that people didn't want to have a child sort of played into how these outcomes played out. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah. So just like you said, when you think of your life, when you were considering having abortion, when people are making that decision, whether to have an abortion, we ask them, what are the reasons you're wanting to end this pregnancy? And all of the reasons they gave us pretty much completely describe the findings for people who are denied abortions. It's like people actually understand what pregnancy entails and what childbirth would involve and what trying to raise a child without in not ideal circumstances, they understand what hardships are involved. So the other areas that we see big differences are in economic well-being. So people immediately say their, their most common reason for wanting an abortion is they feel they don't have the resources to care for a child. Mm-hmm. And they're right. We see increased poverty, increased experience of not having enough money for basic living needs. We see a drop in employment. We see an increase in public assistance, but not enough to meet basic living needs. So it's dramatic. And also, you know, they understood well. Uh, The other thing is that uh, when we actually look at people's credit scores, so this is like data from a third party that has no idea whether the person became pregnant, did or didn't want to be pregnant, had a kid or didn't have a kid. They don't know. They're just Mm -hmm. collecting this data for everyone on the amount of debt you have, the amount of overdue bills you have, your evictions. Through those data, you can see that the women who are denied and the women who receive 
abortions were the same for three years up until the point of the pregnancy, at which point their outcomes diverge and they don't converge for the whole five years that we looked at it. So it's a long-term financial risk. So other, sorry, if we were going back though to the other reasons people give for wanting to have an abortion, one is they say their relationship with the man involved in the pregnancy isn't good enough. That was huge for me. Just (laughs) (laughs) And, and it makes sense. I mean, you're about to explain, but I'm like, yeah, I would have had to have contact with him. I knew that at the time I was like, hell no, I cannot. (laughs) Yes. So we see that actually the relationships dissolve, whether the person got the abortion or not. So those relationships weren't steady and having a kid did not keep them together. It does result in ongoing contact. And so one of the findings is that women who were in violent relationships Mm -hmm. and who got their abortions, their exposure to violence dropped off precipitously, immediate drop off in uh, exposure to violence. The people who were denied it continued exposure, not an increase, but not a drop off. They're just ended up tethered to this guy. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So what were you expecting going into it? And then what surprised you about the outcomes? I mean, I think I had an assumption that people who seek abortions later in pregnancy, that their lives would be kind of a mess. And, you know, and I didn't think this, I promise, but other (laughs) people suggested that, you know, when for people whose lives are a mess, you give them an abortion, you give them a, a baby that they weren't ready for their lives aren't going to improve that much anyway. You won't see a big difference. And those people were totally wrong on so many fronts. One is that people who present late for abortion care aren't different from the people who present in the first trimester, which is when the vast majority of people get their abortions. They tend to be a little bit late because they are poorer, because if you have less money, everything is slower getting there, paying for it. Totally. But most importantly, they didn't realize they were pregnant. And that can happen to people who have irregular periods, who uh, were using contraception. So they didn't realize they were at risk of a pregnancy. So then they were slower to recognize that it had failed. It happens to people who just given birth. So their whole body is out of whack. Mm -hmm. And so they don't recognize that they're feeling crappy, not because they're, you know, up taking care of a newborn, but because they're in fact pregnant again. So there are, there are lots of reasons and none of them should be considered reasons that we should stop caring whether people get to make this decision for themselves. 
And so people who get abortions later and earlier are not so different. And everybody has aspirations. Everybody has life goals. Nobody's like life is such a mess that they don't care. And people, you know, we ask them at the end of every interview, where do you see your life in one year and five years? And when people are denied an abortion, they're set less aspirational plans for themselves for the future, which is sad. They're recognizing their circumstances have changed, their trajectory has changed, and they're scaling back what they hope to do. And that includes like child rearing plans, aspirational plans about trying to be a good mom. You know, they understand that their life is about to get a lot harder. And many people who have abortions want to have kids in the future. They just want to do it under better circumstances, when they have financial stability, when they have housing, when they have a partner who seems supportive, when their health is better. So when we talk about trying to get people to give birth instead of have abortions, what we're doing is shifting births from the later under better circumstances to now under worse circumstances. It's not pro-birth, it's pro birth under bad circumstances. <laughs> oh my God. I know that's really pithy, right? That's going to be the next political <laughs> slogan. But anyway, that is what we find. What we find is that when people are denied abortions, they have babies sooner and they're less likely to have intended pregnancies later. So they've really you know, shifted when they're having kids to circumstances that are not as good for having kids. Another thing that surprised me, but it shouldn't have about reading your research was that you can like see that it affects the other kids in the family. Can you explain those findings a little bit? Yeah. So we asked everybody about their existing children and whether their kid was achieving various developmental milestones, just as a way of, of assessing child well-being. And what we saw was that, first of all, many people don't realize that more than half of people who get abortions are already parents. They're already mm. raising children. And in our study, 60% of the women were mothers. And they often give the reason for abortion that they want to take care of the kids they already have. And we can see that their existing children do worse when they're not able to get an abortion. So those kids are more likely to live in poverty. They're less likely to hit these developmental milestones. Yeah, that is sad. So we talked a little bit about it, but you know, you cited lack of financial stability as being one of the main reasons that people seek abortions. So what is the trickle down of these abortion bans? Like how do they exacerbate inequality? Yeah. So what's going to happen in the future is that states will ban abortion. They already have begun to do this. And people with means will circumvent their state laws. So if you have the money and you live in Texas or Louisiana, you'll travel out of state and hundreds of miles you will travel to get an abortion if you feel that you need one. Other people with means will get on the internet and order pills online. And that takes knowing that the pills are there and how to order them, a credit card, an address to send them to all sorts mm -hmm. of things that not everybody has. And if people do want to like check out how this is possible, there's a website called Plan C Pills that can tell you where you live. It's possible to order pills online. Anyway, so the people who can't do these two things, who can't travel or who can't order pills online, 
they'll experience the experience of the turnaway study of carrying unwanted pregnancies to term delivering. And like the turnaway study, I expect that very few of them will choose to place the child for adoption. That's a difficult choice. People consider it and usually reject it as an option. So people will be trying to parent under what they themselves consider not ideal circumstances. And how big of a difference, like when you look at the women who are able to get an abortion and those who weren't on like earning power, how big of a difference is that? Yeah, it's hard to um, quantify in nice, neat ways, but one way is four times greater odds of living in poverty, which translated said the same idea, but differently is a 15 percentage point increase that the woman is living in poverty. So it's like 50% versus 75% chance that the woman's income is below the federal poverty level. And I rounded there, but I can't remember which direction I rounded. <laughs> Fair but enough. those are the ballpark numbers. <laughs> okay, so I'm just curious. Did you read, there was a New York Times article, and it was called The Abortion I Didn't Have. And it was one of the first times that I've seen something similar to, I just feel like in the media, we don't really talk about the consequences of not getting an abortion. That's why the turnaway study was like so significant to me. Do you have any thoughts on that? I wish I could remember what that was. It sounds familiar, but was it a woman who opted not to have an abortion? She, yeah, she was definitely encouraged to, you know, keep the pregnancy. And it was like several months ago. I think it was right after the leaked Roe v. Wade thing. But anyway, very interesting that it was like literally the only other time I've seen media where it was approached even close to how you did in the turnaway study. Yeah, I wish I could remember that one in particular. I can't, but I'm concerned when somebody, you know, uses their example of a pregnancy that they chose to carry to term to say it's not so bad. Uh-huh. And I don't know that that article said that, but there was a, a jam- one of my favorite shout outs of my results, which I admit she didn't name me or my study, but I really feel like she was talking about me. Is the <laughs> Treasury Secretary, Janet Yellen, said, uh, I believe that eliminating the right of women to make decisions about when and whether to have children would be have very damaging effects on the economy and set women back decades. And she went on a little bit, but then a Republican senator said to her, acted as if what she was saying was that, you know, having an abortion was just important for increasing the labor force participation rate and that his mother was a single mother and was she's saying that his mother should have had an abortion. And so what is really important here is that, and what I wish she had turned to him to say is, if your mother had wanted an abortion, do you wish instead that the government had decided for her? Like yes. he didn't even, he said she was poor, but it didn't, he didn't say she wanted an abortion. So none of this is saying that poor people or any people shouldn't be able to make their own minds up. They absolutely should. And the question is, you know, they have to make their considerations about the pregnancy and their lives and their circumstances and decide for themselves. And what the turnaway study shows is it they can't decide for themselves. If the government does decide for them, they will be worse off than they would have been. 
It doesn't say everybody should get abortions for the labor market. It says people who <laughs> think they want abortions <laughs> should be able to get them. <laughs> no, this woman in the article did not say what your fear about it is. She basically said, you know, like, I love my son, but that's separate from the fact that my life turned out completely different than it would have otherwise. And like, yeah. maybe I would have really loved that life. Yeah. I mean, none of us know the the roads we didn't take. And I feel like at the end of the road, or even as we're traveling, we want to feel like we're on the best possible road. And I really, I even in the turnaway study, people who are denied abortions say they're glad they were denied. Eventually, they say that. Immediately, they don't say that at all. But eventually, they come to terms, even though we can see, because we have a comparison group, that they were measurably worse off on nearly every front. But people make adjustments, and they want to feel good about their lives. And that's really good for they the well-being of families that people make do with their lives. Hey, privates. Boo, boo. Privates with penises. I'm talking to you. <laughs> Our sponsor, Fleshlight, can help you reach new heights with your self-pleasure. And that is because Fleshlight is the number one selling male sex toy in the world. And they don't just leave you hanging over there. At Fleshlight, you can explore sex toys with expert guides and advice, especially if you're a beginner or you're looking to level up. If you have been listening to the show for a while, you know how I feel about self-pleasure and it is very, very good. And I definitely endorse using sex toys. I have a lot of fun with sex toys myself. So with the Fleshlight Girls series, you can embrace your wildest porn star fantasies with a different porn actress every night. What? With the variety of models, sensations, and intensities, you can live out limitless fantasies. And you can automate your fantasies with a universal launch that fits most Fleshlight products. With its innovative touch control system, just set the controls, sit back, and enjoy. And you have pleasure right in your hands. Your pleasure is in your complete control. And as the ultimate male pleasure device on the market, it's as versatile as you are. Anatomical, stamina building, vibrating, or made for couples, you name it. You define your luxury moment. And I just want to say, if you have any shame around sex toys, please don't. It is so much better than being weird with girls because you feel kind of desperate or whatever. Fleshlight just allows you to chill out wait for the right girl when she comes and in the meantime you know you are going to be getting yours and having a good time so you don't even have to sweat it and right now fleshlight is offering private parts unknown listeners 10 percent off your order with our code private 10 so you just go to ppupod.com that's the website ppupod.com you click fleshlight and you use the promo code private 10 to get 10% off your delicious new device. Again, that is ppupod.com and enter code PRIVATE10 and it really helps support the show. It helps support yourself and your own sex drive. So go ahead and use the link in the episode description. We can all be horny together. We can keep this podcast going. So get yourself a flashlight and get yourself off. You know, we've seen the row reversal happen, unfortunately, and I thought it was interesting that Gloria Steinem blurbed your book by saying, if you read only one book about democracy, the turnaway study should be it. 
So I guess, why is it a book about democracy and how does that tie in? Yeah. Wow. Did that lady have foresight, right? Right. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, this is all about participation in our country. It's all about women having equal ability to participate and determine the circumstances of their lives. And so I think with this decision that takes the most personal decision about whether and when and with whom to have a child and tries to take it away from the pregnant person and give it in fact to the government to make for us is about respecting the private decisions that people make. When Roe was decided on the basis of privacy, privacy didn't mean, shh, don't, I won't tell your mother that you are pregnant. No, privacy meant this is a private decision that gets made by citizens. It doesn't get made by the government. And for that reason, I love that this decision was made on the basis of privacy because this turnaway study shows that people are making careful decisions for themselves. They're weighing a lot of things their economic well-being, their relationships, how their mother's going to support them or their father or the man involved in the pregnancy. They're like weighing their own plans for the future, their children's needs. They're doing a lot. And that kind of figuring cannot be done globally for everyone. And when it is, people's lives are worse and people are no longer able to be full citizens. They are reduced in their capacity, in their pursuit of liberty, life, and happiness. Oh, yes. Okay, so you've done a lot of other really impressive work. Are there any other related findings that you think are relevant here that you could leave our listeners with? So I've done lots of work on contraceptive availability, showing how incredibly difficult it is to go through life and never have an unintended pregnancy. We pretty much in this country make contraceptives hard to get and hard to use. And then we're shocked when people don't consistently use them. (laughs) Uh, But so I have done work on that. And some of my work has been really cool. For example, I led the study that showed if you give people a one-year supply of birth control, instead of making them go back to pharmacies or their clinic every month or three months, I know it's a shocker. They're actually less likely to have an unintended pregnancy if you (laughs) just give them the contraceptives they need. And on the basis of that research, many states changed their law to allow one-year supply, but uh, despite the law change, it just doesn't happen. So this looks great on paper, and I bet your listeners, when they go and try and get a year's supply, will not get it. Even if they ask, they won't get it. So this is, we are slow to implement some things that would be obvious improvements in people's lives. But the research group that I'm a director of research for is called ANSWER, Advancing New Standards in Reproductive Health at the University of California, San Francisco. And other people there do a whole range of really cool stuff around pregnancy and substance use, around access to medication, abortion, around reasons people have second trimester abortions in the United States and abroad. There's um, a lot of around adoption, around how abortion is portrayed in the media. You get to talk about sex and and interesting stuff all day, but so do I. I know. (laughs) Just in a super researchy, nerdy 
maybe slightly less sexy environment. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for your work and for this conversation. And how can people find you online? You're a very interesting Twitter follow. (laughs) So you can find lots of interesting stuff about answer at www.answer.org, which is A-N-S-I-R-H. And I'm such a terrible Twitter person that I can't even remember what my Twitter handle (laughs) is. So now I have to very stall while I figure it out. I think I'm Diana G. Foster is my Twitter handle. Well, I definitely recommend people give you a follow, especially, unfortunately, as we're going to have a long road ahead of us of having to watch abortion news. So Yes, it's going to be grim. Thanks again to Dr. Diana Green Foster. I had been wanting to have her on and I'm so excited that it finally happened. That was such a fangirl combo for me. Uh, If you're looking for more abortion-related content, there is a playlist link in the episode description that features all of our reproductive rights episodes, including our Men Have Abortion 2 series, which, not to toot my own horn, but it's a pretty good series. Plus, a quick reminder, we are selling t-shirts as a fundraiser for an abortion in post-Roe America reporting trip, so please click that link in the episode description, buy a cool destigmatizing shirt. They're legit destigmatizing. I was on a road trip recently and I got so many compliments on my pro-abortion shirts. And what's really cool is you can donate extra through Bonfire for the trip if you want to, but Just the purchase helps. And I would love to see privates in these shirts. So please buy a pro-abortion shirt and help us fund this tour all with one purchase. To stay in touch between episodes, I am at Courtney Kosak, K-O-C-A-K on both Twitter and Instagram. And of course, make sure to follow the show at Private Parts Unknown on Instagram and at Private Parts Un on Twitter. And make sure you're subscribed to our newsletter. It's just privatepartsunknown.substack.com. But the link is in the episode description to make it super handy. Shout out to Amy Rausch for the bomb-ass theme music. For more about Amy and her music, check out amyrausch.com. That's Amy, R-A-A-S-C-H.com. This episode was mixed by Mike Castaneda of Plastic Audio. He is my ride-or-die sound editor. Thank you so much, Mike. I love you. After enjoying this content, could I ask you for a quick favor? Por favor. Just go to ratethispodcast.com slash private. Give a quick five-star rating and review. It truly helps other people find the show. And it just makes me feel good. (laughs) Please. (laughs) Again, that's ratethispodcast.com slash private. Or if you're listening on Spotify, you can just go to the upper left-hand corner of our page, Private Parts Unknown. Click the star button. Click all five stars. Voila. You are done. Thank you so much. Until next time, I am wishing you lots of horniness and happiness and safe abortion access. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? 
they're also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.